Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sharon Stevens. St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger has resigned. This follows an announcement this morning from the U.S. Attorney's Office that he has been indicted for a pay-to-play scheme. Federal charges of bribery, mail fraud, and theft of honest services. There is still much more to come, including an emergency meeting of the County Council tonight at 6 p.m. Joining me in studio to discuss all of this morning's news is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Hi, Jason. Hello. Washington University law professor Peter Joy. Hello. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. And University of Missouri St. Louis political scientist Dave Robertson. Hi there. Hi. Happy to join you. Glad to have you all here. Thank you so much. Uh, And I'd also like to invite into today's conversation our listeners, so you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. Or send us a tweet at STLOnAir or an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Okay, first of all, let us talk about what happened this morning Uh, Actually, part of this didn't happen this morning. It happened last week, didn't it? It happened on Thursday. Uh, According to the U.S. Attorney's press release, Stanger was indicted on the charges you just mentioned, honest uh, service bribery and mail fraud, on Thursday. Um, And I would say maybe an hour, an hour and a half after this news broke. Let me back up for a second. Reporters like myself have been hearing rumors that this indictment was coming on Friday, and a lot of us were bracing for that possibility. It didn't happen, or at least it wasn't announced on Friday. So, but we, we, we had gotten a sense because there had been a subpoena of county government and because, you know, the allegations of pay-to-play had been swirling around Stanger for years, that something was going to happen pretty quickly. And that quickly happened on this morning. And then soon after that, I received a letter from uh, a member of county government saying that Stinger had resigned immediately around, I don't know, 1045. So all this happened very quickly. And I think it's fair to say that we are in unprecedented times in St. Louis County government. I'm sure that Professor Robertson can attest to that. Right. I I can't remember a time when we've had an experience like this, although they have had such experiences nearby in states like Illinois, my home state. Um, we haven't experienced it in the county, and we're in uh, new grounds right now trying to figure out where we're going to go. Well, let's talk about something. I want to bring in something a little early here. One of our listeners, Katie on Facebook, has a question, uh, and she asks, this is all such a tangled web. Could someone go into what the charge theft of honest services entails? Can you answer that, Professor? Sure. Uh, the, the concept of honest services means that if somebody holds an elected or appointed office, they're a public servant and they owe their services to the people uh, and that they shouldn't trade on those services by taking a bribe or some kind of payoff to do something for someone else because they're not working in the people's interest. So that's the easiest way, I think, to to talk about theft of honest services. Basically means not doing what you were elected to do in the case of somebody who's an elected official uh, and trading on your position to get some gain for yourself uh, in return for doing something for someone else. Do we know yet, um, besides the fact that 
he's resigned. Is, is he going to face charges? I mean, uh, oh, oh, yeah, more, much more to come. I mean, from looking at the U.S. Attorney's press release, he could face up to 20 years in jail and a $250,000 fine. And I would have to imagine that even if he like strikes a plea deal, like jail time is in the offing here. I don't, I don't see a situation where the resignation leads to no jail time, given the serious the the seriousness of the charges and given just look. I'm I'm still flipping through this this indictment now, given how much evidence that they potentially have. It, it, I mean, forget about his political career. His political career was kind of spiraling downward, anyways. Like. I, I could see him going to jail for for several years, if not more. I, I don't know. Well, um, the, it's hard to the one thing. I, yeah, the one thing I've learned from experience is predicting what the outcome of an indictment is is not something that you're gonna gonna at least be batting even 300 with. Uh, so I wouldn't predict what the ultimate outcome is. The one thing I would predict, though, is that I I know that. Uh, Mr. Stanger has legal representation, and I am sure that his lawyer has already been talking with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, and for all we know, there already may be some potential plea in the works. So I, I, uh, I'm not saying that I have any particular knowledge of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if we learn more about uh, what's the next step in this, even in a relatively short period of time. Okay. Peter, is it possible that the quick resignation was a result of some plea agreement already? Well, um, normally in these kinds of cases, the government wants as part of any agreement resignation. So, so that's normal. I mean, that's the one thing mm -hmm. that somebody could predict anybody who's going to get convicted, that's going to be part of the deal. Um, it, it's possible that that is uh, sort of showing the first sign that something's been worked out. It's also possible that Mr. Stanger just thought uh, that it was time for him to step down and focus on his legal problems. But again, uh, we don't know more than the fact that he's been indicted and he's resigned at this point, but I am sure we're going to hear more even in a relatively short period of time. Now, the document is like 44 pages long, <laughs> right. at least. And uh, I, I know we've just read a, a little bit of it, <clears throat> and uh, it kind of reads like a, a novel. I mean, the the, the information, the emails, and um, mm -hmm. that the government says led to uh, their decision uh, to indict the uh, county executive or the former county executive mm -hmm. uh, is uh, is really something. Right, and I think we haven't seen the emotional wave that follows us. The, the word indictment is kind of soulless, but wait till people see on their TV screens some of the um, texts that are in this indictment. They're going to be seeing Stenger in a very different light. I, I want to put this in good context. Like, can you give us Sorry. an example? Yeah. I mean, on page 11, this is not a text, but this is a paraphrase. Stanger also discussed the proposed consulting contract, referring to a campaign donor that he had talked about getting county business to, uh, with Sheila Sweeney, the chief executive officer of SLEDP. I believe that's the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership. Stanger made it clear that Rallo, John Rallo, the person I was referring to before as the donor, 
was a, quote, donor and directed Sweeney to make sure Rallo and Cardinal Consulting got a consulting contract. Like, if there's evidence to that, there, that's about as open and shut case as you get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, one thing that I'll say is, uh, especially in recent years, the theft of honest services charge, the government uh, has lost a number of the cases because although they could show that somebody received gifts or donations, and they could also show that the person making the gifts or donations benefited in some way, what they couldn't do is connect the dot that the public servant was directing somebody to do a quid pro quo. And as I I just briefly looked at the indictment, but there's a lot uh, some of which may be taken out of context, but there's a lot that shows that there seems to be quid pro quo going on in lots of different ways. Uh, but again, as I said, you know, we, we're seeing something that's selective, certain conversations or emails, uh, and we don't have the whole picture yet. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. rush to judgment, but it does look mm-hmm. pretty bad. Let's talk about the, uh, the mail fraud charge. What, what's involved in that? What's entailed in that, the mail fraud charge? Well, actually, it's using the mail uh, to perpetuate uh, some kind of uh, criminal activity. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much mail fraud, but it's it's kind of you're not supposed to use the mail for criminal activity. And so that that's what the basis of that is. All right. Let's go ahead, Jason. you know, I was just going to put this into context a little bit, which you Mm -hmm. may be transitioning Mm -hmm. to anyways. But. I think there's a lot of irony in this news because Steve Stanger's entire reason for being county executive was on a platform of cleaning up county government and trying to uh, do away with what he saw as corruption in the Charlie Dooley administration. Mm -hmm. And Charlie Dooley, after he lost to Steve Stanger in the primary, was was very upset about that messaging because he felt like it was racially tinged and that accusing a black politician like Dooley of corruption had an outsized impact compared to a white politician being accused of corruption. The other irony is that he used Eric Greitens to attack his Democratic primary opponent in 2018, Mark Monavani, who had given Greitens campaign contributions. And from talking with people of all sides of the political spectrum, I have not found a, a, a politician who was more reviled than Steve Stenger. And in some ways, it's like he had no friends. He had no friends, and in some ways, he was more unpopular than Greitens, and did a lot of things that Greitens was accused of doing, like like for for example, this, this these pay to play allegations. Okay. Let's uh, we have some callers. You know, people have a lot of questions, oh, yeah. just like we do. Uh, and I think our first caller is Simon uh, from Creve Corn. Simon, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, welcome to the program, and uh, what is your question? Yeah, so I'm hearing that the council will likely select one of their own, and um, this is something that just personally frustrates me. I'm not an individual that feels very confident in the county council. Um, I'm hearing that perhaps it'll be Councilman Page or even Councilwoman Ebby uh, that might be selected as Stanger's successor. Um, I'm I'm really troubled, and I'd be interested to hear, um, and, and I just... I'm just troubled by the idea that the council gets first dibs, in a sense, on this open position. Um, I'm, it's just troubling. Uh, I'd like to hear what your panelists could uh, comment on that. Okay. Uh, Jason, why don't you take that first? Yeah. If you read the county charter, the county council is entrusted with choosing a county executive replacement if there's a vacancy. 
they don't have to choose a member of the county council. They could choose any Democrat because it has to be the member of the party of the former county executive. So like, for example, when Buzz Westfall died in, I believe, 2003, I think so. Um, they chose Charlie Dooley hey. to be his replacement. Um, I definitely know that there's a, a lobbying push to get Mark Montavani as the replacement. Montavani, as I mentioned before, ran against Stanger and narrowly lost to him in 2018. But I, from talking with people kind of before this happened, I'm not getting a sense that he w- is, a, is a serious option compared to Page or Irby. Um, my, if I had to guess, and this is all speculation, if Sam Page wants the job, then I think he'd be the favorite to serve until through 2020, and there would be a primary election and a general election in 2020. If he doesn't want it, and that's a big if because Page is an anesthesiologist and has a very lucrative day job, I would have to imagine there's going to be some thought about giving it to Irby, Mm -hmm. who, if she was picked, would not only be the first female African-American county executive, I believe she would be the first female countywide official ever. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's been a countywide official who's a woman in the history of St. Louis County. I could be wrong about that, but there's certainly never been a woman as county executive before. Okay. Right. Dave? I think the the justification, first of all, of having the council choose an interim successor, remember this person is gonna be up for election in 2020, is that they first have been elected by the people themselves, and second are um, in a position to know what the internal workings of the county are more than many would be. And so they feel that the council would be more apt to choose someone with some, some familiarity with the policy decisions that are ongoing. Now, the other thing politically is that Stenger, as Jason has said, managed to unify all sides against him. And so under those circumstances, it's probable that the council can hold it together for uh, a consensus vote this evening. But stay tuned because anything can happen in this game. Okay, we're going to take a break just a second. Hold on. (laughs) Uh, We do need to take a break, but we'll be back in just a moment. And we're talking about the breaking news that St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger has resigned after being indicted by federal prosecutors. This is St. Louis on the Air, St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Okay, we are back. One of our listeners just sent us an email, and he asked, will the county council board president become the interim county executive, or will they have to hold a special election? Um, Jason. Well, I, I don't have the count. I don't have the charter in front of me. Um, I think that there could be a situation where one of the council members becomes the interim very briefly before they choose somebody to serve through 2020. Um, and there will be an election for a new county executive in 2020 now. And I believe because I wasn't here in 2004, but my understanding from looking at past election results is Charlie Dooley was appointed as the county executive through 2004. There was a primary election where Dooley ran against a number of people and then a Republican also ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's the same situation. So if you have, let's say, go through the scenario where Irby or Page serve as county executive but don't run for a full term, 
or for the remainder of Stenger's term. You then have a situation which I don't think has happened in a long time where you could have a multiple Democratic primary for yeah. this for this post, and it could be wide open. Now, there could also be a scenario where the person who's picked as county executive is like, I want to remain county executive, and they're, they're still in there. A lot of this mm-hmm. is, is fast-moving speculation, but the, the people that I've heard who would run in 2020, besides Mark Montavani, who I think is an almost certain lock to run mm-hmm. again, St. Louis County Assessor Jake Zimmerman, uh, Senate Minority Leader Gina Walsh, uh, Senator Jill Shoup, perhaps, or Representative Tracy McCreary. Um, I mean, because I, I remember like when Montavani was lobbying, I was looking on Twitter, uh, my state representative, State Representative Gina Mitten, said, like, there are a lot of very capable female mm-hmm. politicians that could run for this post, especially since that hasn't happened before. And I think that th- this is the opportunity, I think, for that type of thing to occur in St. Louis County, especially since it's we already have a female mayor in St. Louis City and a mm-hmm. whole bunch of other officials, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I agree. I agree. There'll be there certainly will is a possibility for a lot of division in the future over who would be favored to run for county executive and who would be supported by different groups and different sections of the county. So someone who could consolidate support fairly early would have a great shot at winning a primary and then a general election in 2020. Peter, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, this is much more political than it is legal, uh, though from kind of my armchair political science point of view, uh, I would think that whoever the interim um, uh, executive is, if that person did a good job and decided to run, they, they would be a formidable candidate. Okay. Um, I wonder if you can give us a greater sense of what's going to happen tonight at the emergency meeting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Sam, I'm I, asking you to look into a crystal ball, huh? I don't think the members of the council know exactly. I, I don't. I don't know if it'll be a situation like maybe somebody is named interim for a few days, and then they decide to to pick the person that serves through 2020 at another meeting. Um, or they just decide to pick the person that serves through 2020 at this meeting. I, I think it's really unclear at this point, and that's a huge decision to make. Can't emphasize how powerful this position is. County Executive's Office is seen as much more powerful than St. Louis mayor's. And, you know, there's, there's, a political, there's political implications, too, about how this will affect the merger debate. Yeah. If there's a board of freeholders that ends up being right. triggered by that petition drive, if you have somebody in there who is adamantly opposed to the Better Together plan and appoints people to the Board of Freeholders that will actually come up with a competing plan now, that's huge. Yeah. Someone like Irby would definitely do that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, yeah, what it's about unclear holding about this in, in open or closed session? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think if you're, you're voting, you have to vote in public. You can do some other business. I don't know. If I, don't know the answer to th- I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure, but you're right. It is possible that they could go into a closed session and then come back into a public session for the actual vote that may have already been predetermined. And I'm sure that that's where the press will be saying, don't go into any kind of closed session. Of uh, that having been said, nothing stops them from already doing lobbying and politicking. On the phone and, right now. That's right. I'm and, sure that's true. And uh, there may be somebody, I, given the the – 
uh, balance right now. Uh, apparently, if the three Republican members right. decided on a person that they wanted and that person voted for themselves, uh, that could be the person who is the interim executive. Well, to <clears throat> paraphrase a famous movie quote, I think they're going to need a bigger room. <laughs> Um, I just want to remind everybody, by the way, I'm talking with Jason Rosenbaum, who's political reporter, and Dave Robertson with UMSL, political scientist, and Peter Joy of Washington University. Um, what are we looking at, do you think, in terms, I mean, there's a, there is a, something definitive in terms of a date, we know that, um, but what are we looking at in terms of all of this coming together so that they can continue to conduct business. I think that's one of the reasons why they have to have a meeting tonight. According to Page's statement, which I just saw on Twitter, I guess there's technically no interim county executive right now. So they need to meet tonight in order to end that uncertainty. It's not like in other offices where there's like a vice president that immediately takes right. over. Right. There's no right. such, there's, there's, I mean, I think there may be like maybe one member of the council does it temporarily before they do an interim, but it might that be Sam Page? I, I I don't know if it would be Sam Page or Hazel Irby. It's one of the two, either the most senior member or the council chairman. I I, I mean, I think the chair or you know at least calls the meeting. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so I don't know the. I mean, I wish I I have read that in the charter before. I don't have it in front of me to definitively answer that question, but that's why they have to have a meeting to say you know this person is at least county executive for a few days or they make the decision through 2020. Um, because the reason I, it's kind of unusual is you need 24 hour notices before a meeting like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that according to what I, what I read in that statement, they have to do this for continuity's sake. Okay. This is for Peter. Okay. <laughs> do we have a sense of how the investigation played out? Were there phone taps? I mean, all of that is, in that 44-page document, I Well, uh, there's a lot in the 44 pages, but it is unclear how some of these conversations took place. Uh, I mean, it could be that uh, going back, and I think the first uh, ones are going back to definitely 2015, and there may have even been something earlier that there was already, uh, either because of this investigation or somehow uh, some related investigation, uh, a, uh, a wiretap that had been authorized by a judge. Uh, it's also conceivable that someone who was a party to some of these uh, was taping them themselves. Uh, it, in, and the other thing that's a little unclear is uh, exactly which one of these were emails and which ones were from conversations. And that's not, as far as I've been able to tell, fully disclosed in the, in, in the indictment. Um, and because of that, we just don't know how these mm -hmm. pieces came together. Uh, in terms of emails, uh, emails could have been produced as a result of the subpoena. Uh, but again, it's it's kind of unclear. We have the content, but we don't know the source uh, in every instance of this. Now, I know Jason has uh, been meticulously reading through the indictment, and he might have a better uh, sense uh, of some of this. So, uh, I, I think one possibility is that some of people that either work for Stanger or used to work for Stanger talk to the federal authorities. They may have had documents that they could use to 
buttress their case. I mean, it's possible that the feds decided to talk to John Rallo himself, and he provided a lot of this information to them. This is all speculation because it doesn't say specifically in this indictment like what that is, what like, like where the right. source of this is. But I think those are all – They seem detailed, though. Yeah, and they say they're, they're quotations. They're presented as quotations, which makes one wonder about the wiretap. So, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, 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 it is not out of the question, too, that somebody who worked for Stanger wore a wire. But we don't – this is all speculation. Right. it is. We don't know this, and hopefully maybe we can get some more answers uh, with with uh, the U.S. attorney. Yeah. Who else is implicated in this indictment? Well, uh, so Stanger and Rollo are, are the two, but it says, and one or more other individuals aiding and abetting one another. So there are uh, the possibility that there are, are some unnamed individuals that are yeah. going to be uh, John Rollo, uh, it, oh, oh, who uh, was the owner of a company that made, uh, he personally made uh, a number of campaign donations. He got other people to make campaign donations. And uh, his company, uh, and, and maybe possibly more than one company that he was affiliated with, benefited from various contracts uh, with the county and sales of property that the county facilitated. Mm. Sweeney, the head of the Economic Development Partnership would probably be a person that uh, one would look at as a possible accomplice in this. Okay. Um, Jason said earlier that the county executive position is more important than the mayor of St. Louis, but why is that the case? Well, the mayor is uh, somewhat dependent on um, others for the budget, for budgeting, and uh, although um, the county executive has some limitations. Really, the county executive has more power over the, the budget than does the mayor of the city, and the budgeting is the, the kind of um, nervous system of government. Right. If you can control the budget, you can control a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to just say that, that that's definitely accurate. Okay. Um, to, uh, regarding tonight's <clears throat> meeting, Patrick uh, asks on Twitter, do we know if the emergency meeting will have a public comment portion? Do they have to have that? Um, they may. I think that, that the last time that there was an emergency meeting to, to deal with how the subpoena, the aforementioned subpoena was going, there was no public comment. Um, I, I think that's not out of the question, but it's I don't think it's necessarily required. So I, I think that's an unknown, but that's a very good question. And it'll have to be something that we end up Seeing later tonight. Okay. Let's take a, a call from Dean in St. Louis County. Dean, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Hi, Dean. Yes, go ahead. What is your question? Well, my question is, you know, this process has really sh sort of shown a light on a lot of personalities, you know, Steve Stinger and council members and, uh, and so on. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to get the panelists' thoughts about how this process has unfolded and how it's actually impacted St. Louis County's ability to govern like on important stuff like public health and public safety and the opioid crisis and you know how this might this uh, unfortunate turn of events might impact those efforts you know 
Yeah, th that's a great question because county government actually impacts actual people very directly. Mm -hmm. Like if, for example, if you your basement is being renovated, the county comes in and makes sure that it's up to code. They also have the aforementioned public health services. They fix roads. They, they handle a lot of important services that ordinary people have to do. And from what I've been told by council members through this entire skirmish, crisis, whatever you want to call it, they've emphasized that county government is actually functioning pretty normally because a lot of the people that are in county government are like career employees that do certain things for the people of St. Louis County kind of removed from politics. And I would expect that to continue, but I also think that the change in leadership will affect actual function of county government um, just because the county executive, is, is, as Professor Robertson mentioned before, is a very powerful office and also the perception. Because if people are seeing things like this, the perception is going to be that county government is in chaos even if things are functioning relatively normally. Investigations take a lot of time. They've taken a lot of time with the council members. Um, this could get things back on track with more normal efforts to solve the county's problems and also uh, make appointments a little more regular. I think some offices haven't been filled. It's been a news story recently, so okay. you know, we'll see. Very good. Thank you very much. I want to thank St. Louis Public Radio Politics reporter Jason Rosenbaum and Washington University law professor Peter Joy and University of Missouri-St. Louis political scientist David Robertson for joining us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Mm -hmm.